Welcome to The Sky's the Limit with host Dee Brown, the president and CEO of the P3 Group, the nation's largest minority public private partnership real estate developer. Here's Dee. Joining me today on this episode of The Sky's the Limit is David Mosley. David serves as President and Chief Executive Officer of East Smith Advisors, a partnership with NFL Hall of Fame running back Emmitt Smith and Newmark Knight Frank. In this role, he is responsible for outlining the strategic direction for growth and expansion of the company's professional portfolio, including partnerships with national and global corporate entities committed to diversity and inclusion in commercial real estate. Throughout his career, Mr. Mosley has provided regional and national clients with a broad range of services, including business development, business analysis, financial management, franchising, and franchise operations. David is also Chief Executive Officer of 413 Solutions, which is another partnership with him and Emmett Smith. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my good friend, David Mosley, to the sky's the limit. David, I'm glad to have you on the show today. Thank you, Dee. Thanks for inviting me. When you get your call, I have to take it, right? It's like getting a cold call from Oprah. Absolutely. Oprah calling you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, man. But I, I definitely appreciate it. You've had a really uh, successful career. And so I want to kind of jump into your background and just kind of bring my viewers up to speed on who you are and, and all <laughs> the things that you've been involved in. And so like many African-Americans, you are a first generation or you were a first generation college student. Who encouraged you to go to college and what was your motivation? Being the first generation, D, you know. It wasn't something that was talked about a lot in, in the family because, you know, there wasn't a clear path to understand about what it was for. It was about we heard about folks are in the community that potentially could go. I went to in Baltimore City, Baltimore City College High School, which was actually a preparatory school for college. So that's when I began to hear the first buzzword about, hey, you have opportunity to go to college and you learn and grow from there and get your business experience from that opportunity. So that opportunity there, being able to go there to that school, prepared me and launched me into college. And I almost screwed it up, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'll tell you, that. you know, I, I got, what I didn't know, right? In my junior year, you know, you gotta start preparing for applications. So I was working full time and going to school and playing football. So. Somewhere in the grade, I was always an honor roll up until that point because the grade, I was like, oh, I'm about to get out of here. You know, I'm good. I don't get worry about it. Yeah, that's important. Year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the grade started slipping just a little bit, should we say, you know? Yeah. So I, I was still able to, to, to attend college, but I didn't get as much scholarship award. I could have got received if I would have known that little secret about keeping a GPA up a little higher, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I think that's that's the challenge for everyone, you know, staying focused yeah. and making sure the grades stay up. But you did it and you were uh, successful completing college. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But you also wear a lot of different hats yeah. corporately. One of the organizations that you lead is East Smith Advisors, uh, with, which is a partnership with you, Emmett, as well as Newmark Knight Frank. And you serve as CEO of the organization. Tell me a little bit about the services you provide at East Smith Advisors uh, and how that partnership came to be. Yeah, so that, that partnership started back in 2017. And I'll just go back a little further, if you don't mind, Dee, as well. You know, Emmett, we had, partners, we had a, a, a broker, a 
brokerage service, a small boutique brokerage service in Dallas. And that partnership was you know, servicing small clients, uh, tenant rep business. It was doing well. I mean, it was doing great. And we recognized, him and I recognized that, hey, there's a broader opportunity in realizing that we could get larger client opportunities. Emmett was reaching out and having speaking engagements for corporations, but we didn't have the bandwidth in that small boutique company to execute on that. So, you know, we talked to our partner at that time. And she made a decision that, hey, she likes where she is. She can stay in a bar, small boutique company. And we said, hey, listen, we're going to go a different path. You know, you, know, you kind of have a friendly breakup, right? You've done this in business. Time. Right. And we decided to do that. And we started looking out there with some landscape that could could support, help us execute on a, on a global scale. And, you know, a few corporations came along and said, hey, listen, we wouldn't mind having a minority company in place. But they did want to do what they did not want to do is allow me to control. It. So they wanted us there, but not control and not having control. And that's not something we do as our brand. We like to be in control of our destiny. If we're really a minority company, which we are, we're going to control and run it and operate the way we need to operate it, period. Right. Non-negotiable. Right. So, you know, Newmark was the, the company that said, ah, I get it. You know, um, I understand I, I, there's definitely an opportunity for us to work together. We penciled the deal probably in about 40 minutes to pencil the deal and write it with Howard Lutnick. You know, he wrote it out on a piece of paper. It took the attorneys eight months to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot, of legal, like, a lot of legal bills after that, right? But we got it done. Right. We got it done. And, and this, right. the venture was really the first joint venture Newmark has ever done because they usually acquire companies. So we were happy to be that first company and as well as being able to be that first minority-owned company that is certified by National Minority Security Supply Diversity Council. And we provide all the services a typical brokerage company is able to provide. Tenor rep, site selection, advisory services, you know, especially as corporations now are looking at what do I do with this office space? How do I get employees back in this office space? How do I, you know, lay it out differently? And those type of advisory services as well that we're having a lot of conversations around. You know, as well as, you know, they're, they're like, hey, I don't need all this space. Can you help me sublease? <clears throat> yeah. Retailers now are rethinking how they're looking at their positions. So, you know, we're in all those different avenues and all those spaces helping the corporations out, find space, relocate, you know, representing tenant. And they're looking at industrial space as well for with clients now. So, you know, we're pretty busy. Um, clients I can talk about what we're working with, others I can't, <laughs> I can, you know. <laughs> we're, we're happy in the space that we're in. The business is constantly growing. My goal in this year is to add on at least three or four additional personnel on the broker side for us to help us continue to expand our footprint grow as well. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, you, you touched on something that I know is pretty near and dear to me as well as a minority-owned enterprise. You know, being able to be in control of your own destiny. And so you're absolutely correct. One of the things that you will encounter as a minority-owned business is the opportunities that present themselves where individuals may desire for you not to be in control of your own destiny. So mm -hmm. that's something that I, as, a, as a company and as a brand, that we've made sure that we do not go down that path with anyone uh, to, to enter into any type of transaction where we compromise uh, our control and our brand. So mm -hmm. hats off to you and Emmett yeah. for, for that and maintaining that control. Now, I know you graduated from Morgan State University, which is a historically black college and university with a degree in business uh, administration and business science. Prior to being at Morgan State, attended a predominantly white institution, uh, what I refer to as PWI. 
Now tell me kind of the story on why you end up leaving the first institution and transferring to Morgan State and what type of impact have those uh, experiences yeah. uh, at both institutions on your life? There, there, are, there, there are two stories out there in the streets. I'm not sure which one you want. <laughs> so <laughs> The true story. <laughs> hey, man, I tell you, being at the PWI, getting your footing there for the school and asking for help, right? Sometimes you just don't get it on the first time and understanding what the professor may be sharing with you. And I remember it was a science class I was taking in my first year, my second year there. And I went to the professor and I said, hey, listen, you know, I'm not fully understanding what's going on here. Can you, can I meet you at office hours? And he looked at me, he was, he was a white gentleman, white gentleman, and I'm fine. He said, no, figure it out. Okay, cool, I'm a, girl. I'm a, I'm a big guy, I'm in college. Okay, I'll go figure it out, I'll try to go figure it out, whatever. You know, go find help as much as you can. We didn't have the, the Google back then as much, right? And all the IT stuff we have now, but you know, I right. spent some time there trying to Right. And another subject came up where I say, you know, I'm not, I'm not just not getting it. You know, can you ask for help again? Same response. Hey, listen. No, go figure it out on your own. Where I saw some of my other counterparts that didn't look like me were getting some assistance, right? So, okay, cool. So I didn't do well that semester. I was put on probation at the end of the semester, right? Didn't get the help I needed, put on probation. Yeah, and I took a semester off from school, and I you know I just work you know three jobs like most of us I guess right, <laughs> but I'm working three jobs in the restaurant business selling insurance financial services and catering business I had to work in, and I said you know I need to re-enroll. A friend of mine I was talking to was hey you know won't you try Morgan State, and I said you know what I'll I'll apply. It just so happened my neighbor who knew me since six years old, was in the admissions office. And she saw my application. She called me over. She called me, say, hey, come here. She said, okay, I'll take, you know, help you get in uh, and, and get you enrolled and see if we get your classes transferred. And she helped me with all that process, right? And as well, as you know, if you ever went to HBCU back then, probably could be going so well. Getting classes are sometimes challenging <laughs> that you may need. To, right. to grow and continue your studies, to get out in four years. She was there for me to help me in my classes. And she was there all, all the way for the whole four years for me. She was great. Ms. Stokes, she's passed away like seven years now. But she was right there with me the whole time, you know, which was great. But that's just part of it. But the teachers, man, I tell you, when you have a question, it's community. You know, they're like, hey, I'll be here in my office this time. Come see me. Great. And spend the one-on-one -on -one time just to walk you through, you know, help you get it. And which, which is a different, total different environment, a total different energy, you know, being at an HBCU than when I was at the primary white school. And, you know, our classmates, we were like, hey, what time can we meet? You know, it was a group of us. We were like, hey, let me constantly follow up. You can't get to class today? I got you. Just call me later or meet me later. I'll get you the notes. That's how we work together. Right. And we all support each other to get us all through the end. That's why, I mean, I, I tell you, it's worth it. And I, that's why I support HBCUs now, always have, and, and giving back, whether it's time or financially, you know, because it's this way that those, our community is truly able to uplift our kids, each other, and give us that opportunity to go next day. I was ended up, I love right. that I got my, my business administration degree. And now, you know, I use it every day. Surprisingly, I'm wondering if you kids graduate, use a degree, right? <laughs> I'm actually using my degree. Right. <laughs> 
what you're saying about HBCU is really true. I had the reverse experience. I was at an HBCU and transferred to a PWI, and it was a totally different experience. I ended up graduating from PWI, University of Memphis. And I always tell people one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't graduate from an HBCU. But I think at the time, I didn't really understand the significance yeah. of what I was leaving. And then also, there was a noticeable difference between just merely the classroom size, yeah. you know, yeah. the lack of that camaraderie and community feel that you have at an HBCU. Yeah. But I want to talk about your business background a little bit. I know that you spent about 25 years in commercial banking. And during that time, you were charged with increasing lending to minorities, primarily minorities in the, in the business community. And of course, we know that access to capital is still a challenge for minority-owned and small businesses. During your time in that role as commercial banker, what are some of the things that you did to increase access to capital for minority-owned businesses? And what were your biggest challenges that you had to overcome? Yeah. And did I hear you say 25 years? It was like five years in commercial banking. Five yeah, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you probably started when you was 25. <laughs> you know, yeah. So back back then, you know, when there was a a call from the bank, and it was a predominantly African American community, I was their guy to go check it out. Right? <laughs> you know, yeah. we've all yeah. been there, right? So, you know, because they yeah. didn't want to drive in some of those neighborhoods where the churches were. Or, you know, those offices where those businesses were located. So, you know, I was the guy to go out and cover the territory and help out as much as possible. So I was the diversity guy back then, which is fine. That's fine. But, you know, being able to go into our community and educate, first of all, because most lenders in banking didn't want to educate our community about how the banking process, what your value is to the how to put together the documents and prepare yourself financially to be approved. Most of them go in and say, hey, here's the application, fill it out, give me this and go, right? And you wonder why you get declined. Right. So, you know, I was there in my sort of my role, my opportunity, really to sit down and have those conversations about what are you doing in your business? How can I help you make sure you get approved so you can continue to grow your business? The same thing we did with churches, you know, the banks didn't want to necessarily lend to churches. Because they didn't want to be the yeah. bank that actually had to foreclose on the church. So, right. you know, right. always, that's one of those loans where I always had to push a little harder to get approved through underwriting. Although they had the membership because, you know, what you didn't see, if you weren't looking on Sundays, I was sitting in the back of the church with my regional manager counting how many people were in service. Really? Yeah. Because wow. that's how they wanted to make sure there was enough money coming into the bank, coming to the church to pay the loan. So things yeah. like that, that people didn't know what was going on, right, going on right. that banks were doing, just the CYA themselves. Right? So I didn't yeah. know, like, hey, listen, it's a stable church. African-American community is strongly supported. You know, look at it. They've been here for 50 years. <laughs> right, right. You know? So they're trying to expand yeah. a little bit that and upgrade their HVA system. It's not a huge loan. It's a million dollar debt loan sometimes, right? Why do we have to sit in the back of the church on a Sunday and count the people, right? With, you know, it, it, stuff like that. Goes, but, you know, hey, it was what it was at that time. And, and for me, being in the banking, it was an opportunity for me to 
to go to my next step in business, really. Because what I did, I had a plan there to to take that now additional knowledge on financing, leveraging income, structuring debts, et cetera, to then leverage into my own company and to have that cash flow while I was getting paid to start my own business, right? I started a company then probably about two years in called ALD. And it was a home infusion therapy company. When I started the company, I was still working at the bank. And I had one employee was full-time and a part-time. And they were getting part of my paycheck that was working at the bank. But that's okay, what you do to start your business, right? You put that capital account, put a capital in to get started. And I was working in the business in the afternoons, you know, in the evenings and whenever I can run through, because I was, as a, as a lender, you had a little flexibility to move around. So I had a little flexibility available to us to help begin setting up the company, being the business ready, getting it set up and run. And it took us about a year, a year and a half to get that company operational where I was able to say goodbye to the bank and start being in the company, meet another partner full time. We quickly, you know, grew that company to over 20 million in revenue within a five year period. So it was a six year period actually. So, you know, we were great about that, excited about that, about that opportunity. And that's, I think, what, you know, got us into the Emerging Growth Company Year Award by Black Enterprise. We yeah. won some awards on that opportunity. And as well, one thing I was very intentional about having that company was hiring people to look like us in this pharmacy world. Because I knew if they left, they would have it on their resume. They were for a home infusion therapy company and had other experience. And it could leverage that to go to a Pfizer, to a Cardinal, or other major companies to get a bigger opportunity, right? Which a lot of my sales reps were able to do when you ultimately sold out the company. So it worked out well for them as well. And a lot of them still work on my part, which is good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Now, so how long have you been out of banking? Man, I, I've been out of banking since I was three years old. Come on, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we've been out, I've been out of banking for since, uh, shit, ni- no, 1999, somewhere in there. Yeah, so yeah, quite a while. 23-ish yeah, years. Yeah. And, and the reason I'm asking that question is that since you've been out over the last 20 years, have you seen any uh, significant improvements in the way that minority-owned businesses can access capital? The attempt to change has only started in the last two years with the outcome of Floyd, George Floyd and his death. Jamie, um, I'm sorry, Jamie Dimon, had Jamie made that a very intentional decision to start advancing Black Pathways, to give folks an opportunity to learn and to get into, and when I say getting us African-Americans opportunities to get into the banking pathway and getting a lending opportunity there. So it's, it's, I would assume it's only begun to change in the last few years. Um, before then, it was the same old stuff, you know, if you didn't know. Right. We know systemic racism exists within the, uh, the banking world. Oftentimes it's a difficult topic for some people to discuss, but the reality is that accessing capital it's still challenging to minority-owned businesses. But I would say sy- systemic racism is one part of the equation. But I think the other part of the uh, equation is the lack of financial literacy. And I think you talked about that uh, in one of your earlier uh, responses. And so my question to you is, what are your thoughts on how we can do a better job uh, having financial literacy in communities of color that would better prepare business owners as well as individuals to deal with banking rules and requirements to have better outcomes. Yeah, that's one of the things that, you know, that I know you're focused on, we're focused on as well, 
And, and as we're beginning to develop and build, you know, doing development opportunities, we're looking at opportunities where we can partner with various banks in the community to hold them to the standard they say they want to do for us being a difference in the African American community, right? Put that community branch there. Be more than just a bank. Be there in the evenings as well to have financial literacy classes. Be a part of the community, not just say, I'm just going to take your deposit and close at three o'clock and I can't come back and learn anything else, you know? So you have a chance or you can have an opportunity to make a difference because if you're taking my deposit money and my check deposit every two weeks, and hopefully you're probably doing a loan, capitalizing and reloading the money back out as well, right? So you're making two right. or three times on the money that I'm putting in. So you can put a little bit of that investment back into my community and make sure that I'm, or that we are in our community are, are getting understanding our value to the bank. And more important, what's the process, the proper process of getting your documents together? Because people don't understand sometimes what happens is when you first apply for a loan, even for a home, business loan, whatever it may be, you may give them that initial P&L statement, but there's always additional documents required as we know, David. Right? right. When you take two days, four weeks, three weeks to get back to the bank, fulfill that out, that lender's moved on from your deal. You're now, right. You went from this pile to being in this pile now, right? right. So, so you have to be prepared when you're presenting to the bank. And people don't understand that sometimes. That's why it's important that part of the education process that you have to understand, hey, how do I properly do a loan? How do I properly you know, apply for mortgage for my house? All those things are important that the community banks should, the banks should be involved in when we're building, we're looking to import them in this community as well as a partner. Right. Well, you know, I think that a lot of minority businesses as well as small businesses don't keep proper financial accounting of their business. Mm -hmm. They don't do monthly financial statements, financial reports, and they do not have accountants and bookkeepers engaged, you know, with their businesses full time to see that those records are are maintained and, uh, and readily available when uh, pursuing financing. So I think that's one of the challenges for certain uh, for these smaller businesses and minority owned businesses. It, it, uh, moving on though it, to- it, it, uh, easy. Yeah. Because that point you just made is very important, right? Because we have to know the health and state of your business. You're not gonna, the only way you can sense it, like, okay, I know where I got, I got $2,000 bank account. I think I'm doing okay. You may not be doing okay. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, so the only way you're really going to understand that is having your finances, your financial statements, your reports in hand. So right. nowadays it's so easy out there to get, you know, even QuickBooks have, you know, online to do some new accounting for you, right? It's so easy right. for folks to have that resource available to them that is worth spending the money. If anyone will get anything else on this podcast, is worth spending the money to have your financial reports available to you so you can understand what's going on in your business. So when you see a change going on, you quickly can identify and make those adjustments before you file yourself in bankruptcy. It's important. Right. Absolutely. Moving on to some of your awards and honors, you were uh, you received an honor 40 under 40 by Baltimore City Emerging Leaders Award based on your successful career. And then in 2002, you were also recognized by Black Enterprise as uh, an Emerging Growth Company of the Year. So tell me about these two awards and, and what they meant to you at the time that you received. You have to be original for great leadership. 
You right. can't fake leading a company. That's uh, true. You know, you have to continue to grow. And what I mean by that, grow as a person, grow in your education as well to be able to grow the company, you as a person. And, you know, we lead people, we manage some procedures, measures, and, and we look at the results and metrics for performance. So we have to have all those two tools in place in order for us to accomplish and grow a company. Because at the end of the day, you know, families depend on us as business owners. Payroll and take care of them. So we can't take our job, our responsibility lightly at all. And the win the 40-40 on the award was like, hey, what happened? Who, me? <laughs> you know, that 40-40 was like, okay, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that was part of what I was doing as far as, you know, running the business, the home infusions every company back then as well. Yeah. The growth that we were able to take and grow there. And as well as the Black Enterprise Award, you know, I challenged my staff. I said, you know, we could have an opportunity to do our, exceed our previous year numbers. And we set a goal early in January of that year. And I told everyone, I said, listen, if we hit our numbers by, I think it was October or it was late, it was late October. I said, we hit it by number one. I'll take the entire company on a trip to Mexico and you can bring a spouse. Four days, can't shut down the company because we have patients on service. So I got to bring another staff in to cover us, right? So I'll bring another staff in to cover us so we get patients, but we got, you know, we got to do some things there logistically. But anyway, and so if we hit our number, that's what I'm going to do. That's my commitment, my give back to you guys, plus bonuses in here. And, you know, we hit the number. And as part of that, we, we also won the Black Ninja because our growth went over to 15 million, I think, that time, 15 million in revenue. Uh, but we hit the number and I took the entire company to, to Mexico. And I, and, I, and I intentionally wanted to do that, not take them like to Tampa or something like that, because a lot of the guys and, and folks that are in my, that work for me, like I said, look like you and I. Never, some of them have never been out of Baltimore City. So I wanted to open their eyes up to a different experience beyond Baltimore beyond USA. And, you know, that was itself helping him get a passport, stuff like that, didn't understand right to get out of the country. But, um, you know, we did it. They had a great experience doing that. And, you know, we just continue to grind the company. As you know, you got to bring the team together, Dean. You know that, you know, right. Right. <laughs> to be able to push that forward. We can only do so much as leaders, but to be motivated right. and, right. and give back to them because we can't put it all in our, in our pocket uh, in the day. They're doing a lot of the work and we try, we try whenever we're building a business to make sure that our team around us is enjoying the, the fruits of the labor as well, which is important. Absolutely, man. That's, uh, that's, that's very important. Uh, like you said, you can't fake leadership and people do not follow leaders that, that they don't trust. Yep. Of course, a leader without followers is just out taking walks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it comes with it comes with trust, building trust amongst your team, and and making sure everyone feel that they are uh, part of the success yep. story. You know, um, I tell people every day, I you know, I can't do what I do by myself, man. It's, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, it takes the whole team to make the train yeah. uh, go down the track. And, and uh, I will tell you that, man. I know you heard the story. Uh, you know, where where you know he, he first thing he's never about him it's about the team, it's about the line, right? Because right. and Daryl Johnson, he'll say, "Hey man, listen. If it wasn't for Daryl in front and line out in front, I would be leading Russia." Right. And right. and he learned that lesson early on, very early on, and I think it was high school. 
where you know right. we got his first interview, and he was like, "Hey, me? Yeah, I did a great job running." Oh, right. <laughs> that next practice didn't go well for him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Listen, he told me that story, and uh, you know, I, I go back and I listen to some of the interviews I do, and I know I always say we and you know the team and. You know, but that's what—that's really a lesson that I learned from playing sports as well. Of course, I didn't play beyond high school, but it's like those lessons you learn uh, in, in sports yeah. uh, transcend to, to business. And there are a lot of good things you, you can take forward with you that make you a very good business person yeah. if you just kind of remember uh, those lessons. Now, uh, speaking of Emmett, you and uh, Emmett launched 413 Solutions yeah. uh, to focus on developing renewable energy assets. And of course, you guys have been good business uh, partners of mine, and you're managing programs for my company, the P3 Group, around the country and the Caribbean. Tell me what inspired you all to launch 413 Solutions, and what are your short and long-term goals uh, with this particular company? Yeah, so we we started right before right. everything shut down. How about that for planning, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> we. Uh... <laughs> We, we were we were looking around the landscape of companies that we currently owned and knew that there was something already coming and going to be big as well within an energy space and we did we weren't we didn't have a company in that space that we 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 could you know stand up properly we said you know what we need to create um that entity but we we didn't want to do we didn't want to create another company that said emmett smith right e smith e smith advisors we have that right we had E Smith development. Right. We have we we have ton of E Smiths out there, right? We didn't want to do another. We wanted to do right. something really touched back to um, our roots and a biblically, which is important to us. So a lot of people don't realize part of four thirteen is Philippians four thirteen. That's where it came from. Really, I don't think I knew yeah. that. That's where it came from. Four thirteen Philippians four thirteen. Give me the scripture. Give me the, uh, give me I the can, scripture. I can do all things who who, who gives me strength. So that's where it came from. And so we did 413 Solutions you know, for that company. So having that leading us biblically uh, and making that important to make sure we're out there impacting communities again from the energy solution. And it's just what happens, you know, Biden's administration is really supporting it right now. God bless him, right? <laughs> the tax and everything else, right? Uh, so that's, that's been our mission really to get out there and make a difference in the communities about, you know, if we're able to provide uh, solar solutions or energy solutions. How much that if we're in a like say a, a, doing the school district, and how much of those energy solutions can we push back into the lower incomes and help them save money, making a difference there. Right. You know what can we give back? Like from we're doing UVI, right? The, your commitment there to to give back, you know, significant dollars there in that community. You know, everyone we everywhere we touch, how can we make it make it better than we were before? which is very important in our mission. You know, I was out walking school district yesterday afternoon and and just the, just walking to school, um, seeing what the kids were going through. You know, it was breaking my heart to see they have stuff, asbestos in the buildings. They can't drink out the water fountain because the lead pipes are leaking. Um, they don't have heat on certain sides of the buildings. You know, it's, it's 2022, are you kidding me? Why are our kids have the, the the yard where they have for the kids to play in, grass is overgrown, it's uneven. There's nothing really. I'm like, this is middle school. What? Why do kids can't have a decent area to go play? The marginal homes are falling down. It's 22 years old. They're just putting bandages on it. 
I said, listen, you know, the part of the conversation was, hey, there's a better way we can solve this for you, you know, to come in and be helpful and intentional about how we fix it, a holistic solution, and provide some additional meetings for the kids without impacting the school system more. You know, with those type of conversations, I know we have all the time to you about doing that, making a difference. Right. And it, 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 we shouldn't have to, it shouldn't be that hard, right? We get them, we get folks to understand, hey, we're not here to rob you. We're here to help you. We're here to be your partner right. and, and provide a true right. solution about how we can make a difference without impacting your budget. And that part of what the tax credits do in the solar energy side and energy efficiency, it allows us to give some of that money back to us so we don't sit back and take all those dollars as well. And and, and those tax credits we sell off, you know, we, we buy some dollars back to the community. So. It's a, we try to create a win, win for our partners all the way through. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just as a corporate philosophy, a personal uh, goal, you know, we believe that giving back to the community, man, is just part of the formula, part of the recipe for success. And so I think that's something that we, I know we take very seriously and I know you, you and Emmett uh, take it very seriously and you all are doing a lot to make a difference in that, in that arena. I want to talk about one of the most exciting projects in America that's coming up right now, and that's the Emmett's Las Vegas uh, project, the 30,000 square foot restaurant and event venue that's going to open in the uh, the spring of this year. Hope. Tell me a little bit about that project. <laughs> Man, this, look, I feel like a Jamaican. I got 20 jobs, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> that that uh, the restaurant most likely is going to be because of COVID and supply issues. You know, we'll probably be pushing close to uh, July, August right now. But okay. we, I, ideally, I want to get open sooner than that. But that um, that that facility, that restaurant, uh, high end steakhouse. And great service. We have a great chef coming on board. He'll be signing his contract this week. You'll add on ten pounds just just eating, <laughs> just eating right in the restaurant, you know. And of course, you know, you know, Emmett had to put his his he had to say, "Hey, can I get some shrimp and grits in here and some fried chicken?" So you know, right, we got, we got pieces added on to the menu as well. And as D, you know, you heard him talk about butter cake as well, right? So you know, right. we got that in there as part of the menu as well. So we we our fingerprints and. All right, we're true uh, partners in the, you know, Emmett's not lending his, his brand to this, not a license deal. We're part of the ownership okay. of it and, and setting it up operationally and getting it up and running, the construction side of it, the whole nine yards. But the restaurant is going to be, you know, very, uh, we can't announce the location yet. That's coming out, but you're trying to scoop them. You're trying to scoop me on that one, but, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the restaurant is going to be right there in a premier space, uh, right on the strip. Great visibility. Great steakhouse. You're going to love the menu. And then upstairs, we're going to have a private VIP area, a cigar lounge, high-end liqueur, as well as, you know, you're going to have to have a special black card to get up there um, for black card members. So, you know, I might know some guy can be able to get you a card. I might know one too. Yeah, I, yeah, I was gonna just make make a footnote right there. <laughs> yeah. We're thinking also being able to provide NFTs up there as well for purchase. So it's a little different experience up there as well. Uh, and then outside, you know, we're gonna be providing um, concerts. Yeah, um, we're probably about eighty nights a year of concerts. And then when we're not doing concerts outside, you know, going to football season, 
You know, I know a guy named Emmett might be there upstairs doing a show yeah. up there. Right. Part of some other folks to broadcast live there. And we're excited, you know, because the in, in Vegas in 2024 will be the Super Bowl. So, you know, I know where I, I know where I'm going to be that that week. <laughs> hey, look, okay, go ahead and put me on the guest list. Okay? <laughs> and, and, and hopefully you have an opening time for us to have our summer corporate retreat there, man. So maybe I'm moving from Miami and, and have it in Vegas. Okay. Well, duly noted. And uh, we, we'll put you down for that. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. So, David, uh, you know, obviously you're a serial entrepreneur. I think everybody listening and watching have figured that piece out. You and Emmett both. But you've been very successful. What do you contribute your success to? It, it really is staying focused, D. You know, and, and, and state and realize, you know, each day. It's, it's, for me, I know you're, you're a guy that gets up a certain time and, 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 and it's a pattern. For me, when I'm not part of my routine, I feel off for me. Yeah. You know, and which is very important. And starting you start off every morning the spirit of gratefulness and thankful, you know, for having these type of opportunities and thank you for another day. Thank you for the support for your family, your partners, my partner, you know. As much as we give each other grief, <laughs> you know <laughs> trash each other. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I think you've heard one or two of those comments last thing. <laughs> one or two hundreds. <laughs> you know, we, we do that, but you know, that's part of fun for us. You know, we, we, we give each other yeah. our time, we push each other, we push each other and uh it allows us to be able to to, to focus and, and allow us to grow a business. Because you if you can't have fun with your partner and growing a business, right. It becomes very painful. You don't enjoy getting up. You enjoy what you do. Um, you know, and you become bitter and that heart becomes a little blackened, right? So right. you really have to have that that level of commitment to the business. And for me, it's a commitment being able to make sure that I'm making different people's lives in a day. You know, I'm blessed enough right. to be able to to be able to travel overseas and, and have those opportunities and take the family with me as well. For folks I realize I don't have that opportunity. I'm a guy from Baltimore City. That my first, you know, my first really thought while I was doing something was going down to Baltimore in a harbor. And I was catching the bus down there. I was like, wow, this is great. I'm in the harbor, right? Then my next major right. excitement was going out to Towson, to Towson Mall. I thought I was doing something, right? <laughs> but you don't right. you don't know what you don't know, right? So right. being you right. know, putting our, our staff and employees in a position where they are able to to do a little bit more and hopefully to work previous job and give them the experience to do that has been a blessing. Right. So I know you 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 believe that as well, D and your team. Absolutely, man. I um, you just talked about growing up, and like I said, you don't really realize what you don't have because everyone around you really have the same thing that you have. Yeah. So you really don't know what you don't yeah. have, so to speak. And I remember, you know, for us, vacation would be uh, loading up in the car uh, with a cooler and sandwiches and fried chicken and sodas, right? And we drive to Chicago to go to uh, yeah. Six Flags or St. Louis. Yeah. And we would stay with relatives most of the time. Uh, very rarely we would stay in a, in a hotel. And, uh, you know, those were just some ex exciting time times for us. And then to, you know, get to a position where you can, you know, fly all, all over the world and take your family with you, take your staff with you, uh, you know, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a rewarding uh, experience. So uh, I'm definitely thankful and, and humbled by the opportunities I've had. Yeah. 
And, and so David, I, sometimes that, see, you that, don't want to take the kids. I know I don't. Sometimes they get on the earth, man. <laughs> hey, look, sometimes I don't take when they show up. <laughs> show up, man. You know, and I, um, you know, then to have a yacht that's bigger than the house I grew up yeah. in is, uh, you know, it's another thing. And then my kids show up and they tell me they're going to bring two or three friends and they show up with 30, <laughs> or 35. <laughs> On top of the 30 I've already invited. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been there. I saw that happen once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, man, David, look, I've, uh, I've enjoyed you. Uh, I think it's been a great show. Uh, looking forward to having you back and look, looking forward to having you on my, my new television show, HBCU. I hope Ben has been in touch with you about yeah. getting you on that program. I think that's going to be a powerful program and a powerful platform to uh, – to really highlight the success that's coming out of HBCUs and also to highlight those uh, experiences on, on campus yep. and the leadership. So yep. I appreciate your time Thanks. and thank you for joining Thanks, us. Dude, Ladies it. and gentlemen, David Mosley. The P3 Group is a proud supporter of HBCUs. We recognize the value of our HBCUs that have filled the educational gap for communities of color for more than a century. As one of the nation's leading real estate development firms, we recognize that the real value of building community is in empowering its people. We are the P3 Group. Design, build, finance. You can bank on us. This has been The Sky's the Limit with D. Brown. To find out more about D, go to dbrownceo.com or Google D. Brown CEO. And to connect with the P3 Group, check out the P3GroupInc.com. The Sky's the Limit is a production of Self Made D Brown CEO.